0: into left center and what a play made by the rookie brian o'grady pitch oh in the right field brian o'grady first big league home run fly ball center field struck well bariznik going back at the wall welcome back brian o'grady
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 22 of Breaking Bats presented by Not For Long Media. I am your host, Brian O'Grady. And with me, as always, my co-host, Justin Ayers, J.A., how you doing over there in your Bud Norris shirt, man?
2: It's a great day to to be in Maryland. It's a great day to be an Orioles fan. Uh, The Orioles have just ripped off nine straight wins for the first time since 1999. Which I, which is funny, and I looked it up. They're the second team in history to lose 110 games in one season, and then have a nine-plus game winning streak the next season. Uh, and I it's just I, I I can't stop smiling. The Orioles are so much fun to watch. I was completely wrong about them. I thought they're going to be equally, if not as bad, or equally equally, if not like worse than they were last year. But this team's got heart, and who said who says they can't get a wild card? Who says it? Not me.
1: I, you never know. It could happen. There's plenty of spots this year.
2: I, I, that's what I'm saying. So uh if they decide, if they do decide to trade Trey Mancini, I will be completely different mood-wise. Um so talk to me. I think it's the August 2nd trade deadline. Let's 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 circle back and touch base around then and see what happens.
1: Sounds like a plan. Uh I do think, yeah, I, I think it's also where they have a better record than the White Sox, maybe or something. They're very oh. close.
2: Yeah, they have a better record than a lot of teams with a lot of guys on it, and their payroll is less than Max Scherzer.
1: Somebody might have picked the White Sox to go to the World Series, but we're not going to name names. Um, Anyway, but moving on, um, what do we got today?
2: Uh, We have a lot of stuff. Uh, One thing I did want to clean up this past week, I got (laughs) bored and I made a starting nine of guests, and I went back and... I didn't really put like that much thought into it about like the lefty righty matchup, but Eric Hosmer can't play shortstop. So I apologize because he's a lefty and I Googled it and there's only been five left-handed throwing shortstops in the history of baseball. And they're all like in the 1890s.
1: Who's to say Haas couldn't do it on our team. I don't know. We can, we could uh, if we really need it, I'm trying to think of who else played shortstop. I don't really know who we got. Maybe Frage could slide over and play shortstop,
2: but, uh, that's that's the thing. I don't think he's played shortstop in the big leagues. Maybe we could have Frazier play shortstop and then Hosmer play second. Could a lefty play second?
1: Hos can do whatever he wants. I'll stick him out there. Screw it.
2: Ben and Woods, <laughs> Ben and Woods is the catching tandem. It's it still makes me laugh.
1: <laughs> they love that. They thought that was hysterical. I was cracking off when I saw that too, because that's just that's classic. We gotta, yeah, we need to we need to get them back on here with the two of us because that was the first episode and that was I did by myself. Cause yep. you had something with work back then. And so you didn't really get to to hang out with them. I would love for that to, to see that interaction. I think, I think you'd really enjoy it. And I know they would too. So we'll, one of these times, you know, later down the line, we'll, we'll circle back and we'll, we'll get them on for round two. Cause they are, they're, they're a hoot man. They're fucking,
2: they're great. The biggest compliment I can give them is the fact that I listen to their show sometimes on like the, was it the audacity app or whatever. And I don't, yeah. I'm not a Padres fan and I don't live in California. So that's, that's the highest compliment I can pay somebody is that I listen to your sports talk show.
1: They're good, man. They're, they're true. Like good people really love them, but they are legitimately good radio. Uh, they're, they're funny. They really are. They have good uh, chemistry. God, I couldn't think of the, couldn't think of the word. Good chemistry. They're, they're awesome. I mean, that's why their fan base is huge out there, but
2: they already know that. Anyway, when they, have, when they have the one guy read, uh, I think it's it Ben, when they have him read like classic hip hop, like rap lyrics and like his newscaster voice, it cracks me up every single time.
1: They're, yeah, they're like polar opposites of everything, like how it's all worked out. It, it, it's, and it's just great. And now our other buddy, Adam Jones, is on there like weekly now. He comes on and talks like once a week for a while.
2: Yeah, I do listen to those whenever they tweet that out. So uh, shout out Ben and Woods. The news, we have uh, the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game uh, rosters were announced. The Derby's going to have an eight-man field so far. We know the following guys will be in it. We have Kyle Schwarber, who was the 2018 runner-up to Bryce Harper, looking for revenge, a little cool storyline. Pete Alonzo, the polar bear, he won it in 19 and in 21, so he's going for his third straight. I don't know. It seems I'm not a big fan of guys being in it every single year. It's like, let somebody else win it, Pete. Maybe, maybe stop trying to put people in the hospital and maybe let somebody else try to win the home run derby. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr. is in it. Looking forward to that. He leads the league in average home run distance. So shout out him. Albert Pujols is 42 years old. This is his fifth derby. And what are we going to get? I don't know. But it'll be some cool, cool storylines. And then Juan Soto, my guy, who had the memorable swing off against Shohei Otani last year's derby, uh, he will be in it as well. So we got three spots left. we got one guy that's 110 years old. And I don't know when you look at this field so far, what do you like? And what do you not like?
1: Oh man. Uh, kills the ball. Looking forward to that again. Well, I like watching him hit Alonzo. I get what you're saying with, uh, you know, he's been in it a ton, but he's also won. So I feel like he kind of, you know, should have an opportunity to defend the crown and he obviously really enjoys it and takes pride in it. So, and I know he wins, uh, he wins some money when, when he wins it and, uh, he gets, I think, I think they money goes to the charity of their choice too. So there's incentives there. I get him being in it. And he, I mean, he's good at it. So whatever. Acuna. Awesome. Love to see it in there. He's electric. I, when I played against him first in double A, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And yeah, he's been since then, didn't know his name at all. He came up and I'm like, this guy's like the best player I've ever seen. I don't know who this is, but wow. Um yeah, he hit a ball in Mississippi, which is a graveyard in the middle of summer, so hot off. Tyler Malley, who is now one of the you know better pitchers for the Reds, and he hit it like straight up. And I'm like, Oh, that's a pop-up. And it went out by like a hundred feet. I'm like, what the what? It was crazy. So yeah, he, he's great. Pool holes. I'm a, I like him in the derby. I think that's cool. I get, I know I, I know we're gonna talk about this a little bit in a minute, but uh, I think it's, I think it's a fine little farewell. He's been amazing. It's a cool, it'll get people to watch more. It's, I like it, whatever. So many, I mean, dude, these swings are no joke doing a home run derby, taking all those swings is like tiring. So mm-hmm. honestly, I'm, I'm curious to see how he, how he holds up doing it. Cause it's, young it's a young man's game. Soto. Love watching him, hit him. He was crushing the ball last year, or whatever it was. Yeah, last year. Um, so happy to see that again too. The other three spots will definitely be uh, be interested to see who who uh, the last three are.
2: It's at Dodger Stadium this year, right? The All Star Game in Germany? yes, Dodger Stadium. We need a Dodger yep. in there. Yeah, we need. We yeah, need that somebody. would make sense. I don't know who. I mean, Bellinger's done it. I think before. Um, Freddie Freeman, that might be a cool one. I don't know. We've seen somebody from the hometown Dodgers. I feel like to get in there.
1: I don't think Freddie's going to do it, Freddie. I'm not. I'm dead serious. I'm sure Freddie, if he wanted to, would put most balls over the fence. Freddie's BP consists of him trying to hit line drives with the shortstop the entire time. So I don't know if he wants to do a home run derby.
2: Did not. Is that like the opposite of Ichiro, where in a game he hits line drives, but and the like BP hits homers, and Freddie just listen hit and hit
1: it. It's – I've done it to – I've done both ways. It's – at the end of the day, when you're taking BP on the field, you're trying to gear your swing for the game. So, for different guys, that means different things. So, for Freddie, if you watch him hit, I mean, you can see it. Like, he's just inside of everything, and he, that's why he drives the ball so well to left center field. and That's why he's such a good hitter in general. But that's what works for him. Some guys will do that earlier – in the rounds of BP. And then, you know, last round or two, they'll let it fly. At the end of the day, dude, 95% of the guys in major leagues, if they're trying to, will we'll put balls over the fence. Doesn't mean you're going to do it like these guys can in the home run derby, but like in normal BP, you know, most guys can do it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Mookie, I'd like to see Mookie do it. I'm sure Mookie could hit
2: some good ones, uh, but we'll see. I like it. So going back to pool holes though, some people are not very happy that Albert is doing both the Derby and the All Star Game. Uh, there's a guy on Twitter. His name's Ryan M. Spader, who's a baseball author and an analyst. He had a hot take. He said, "Quote: Pujols is a legend, but he doesn't deserve to be an All Star, and he doesn't deserve to be in the Home Run Derby." And that he went on to say that he thinks this year's is going to be fixed, like 2001's was, talking about the All Star Game when Ripken won the MVP, even though he was ancient. Um, that's kind of a hot take. I don't. There's some parts of it I agree with. I'm not like the biggest fan of like him being in the Derby. I thought him being in the all-star game is cool. Cause they, they created a spot specifically for him and, and Miguel Cabrera. They called the legacy spots. Um, so they didn't take anybody else's. That would be my gripe is if you put these guys in there, bull has says five homers, and it'd be weird if like he took, I don't know somebody who's actually good spot, but, uh, I don't know. What do you think of him be doing both the all-star game and the Derby? I
1: agree. I, that they're not taking somebody else's spot is huge. Obviously Miguel Cabrera and pool have been, I mean, just unbelievable players for a long time. I think it's, I think it's cool to give this kind of send off. I, I, baseball's the kind of like the last all-star game. That's like an actual game, (laughs) you know, like the pro Bowl, get out of here. The NBA all-star game is just like, I, I don't know a scoring fat I mean they don't even really play it's just kind of whatever NHL NHL kind of has a cool concept going on now but baseball is the last one that's I feel like is legitimately game because you can't really half ass play baseball you can't you know it just doesn't work that way. So glad they're not taking somebody's spot because I've seen other it, it, it's let me let me backtrack it's a cool way to get some more eyes on the game some more people into it to see, oh, pull holes and, you know, we created this for for this. The Home Run Derby, a little extra spot with him. I think that's fine, too. I think that's, again, another cool way to get people more interested in it. I've seen things like uh, who, I think, Rosenthal was saying that it should be Kershaw versus Otani to start the the All-Star game. And I'm like, to me, that is such a bullshit. I I don't care as a player and as players. They don't give a fuck about this is it would be so cool if if people could watch this for that matchup. Like no. Shane McClanahan who's my buddy has been unbelievable this year. Now Shane is gross and has phenomenal stuff and is young and I'm sure he's going to have a great career and pitch great for many years but this might be his only opportunity where he deserves to be that all-star starter. It's same with Alcantara, Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins. Like I don't care who it is. And there's other guys, you know, you can make arguments for that they could deserve to be the starter. But like when guys are pitching that good, it should be them. It shouldn't matter about Otani or Kershaw or the biggest names it's because you never know. This might be their only opportunity. I doubt it will, but it could be their only opportunity. So as long as they are not taking spots away from guys who deserve it and who've earned it this season, because that's what it's about. It's the best players
2: this year. I'm fine with it all. End rant. (laughs) That's a great one. Sorry. Yeah, no, (laughs) I mean, I mean, Kershaw's having a great year, but I don't think his numbers touch. He doesn't touch, uh, you're right, Sandy Alcantara. Or are you know I'm um, hashtag stands over here, but um, yeah, I, I, I the having the all L A team guys like I don't know feel like feel like we feel like we could probably do without that. So
1: yeah, it's I get it, I, I get the concept, but it's I just don't think it's right because yeah. and I shouldn't say those guys don't deserve it because you can definitely make cases that they deserve it, but I don't think they're the best option for this year. And if that's what it should be about. It should be about this year, and I, in my opinion, it should be Shane and it should be uh, Alcantara for sure.
2: I agree. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up in regards to the All-Star game was there are some notable guys left off the All-Star game roster, which made me sad a little bit. Um, I have three of them that I, re- that I saw that I think were my biggest snubs. I have Josh Bell of the Nationals. That's not just because I'm a Nationals fan. Uh, he's hitting 304 this season. Uh, I mean, as a first baseman who hits for power, he does it all. Like I know first base is traditionally a deep position in both leagues. So it's understandable that a first baseman would get left off, but I don't know. I feel like they probably could have made a spot for him. The other one was your AL Cy Young pick, Kevin Gosman. Uh, 286 ERA this year. He has a fifth best strikeout rate in the AL second lowest walk rate. And I feel like it's easier to put an extra pitcher on there, or it's easier to have good pitchers on there. I don't know who was checking that. Maybe somebody forgot about Kevin Gosman because he's north to the border now, but, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why he was left off. And the other one was Ty France, the Mariners. Uh, he leads the AL for uh, first baseman with an 851 OPS and a 310 average. Again, first base, no love. I don't know. What do you think?
1: The one that, I mean, first of all, those guys all deserve to be on there. The one, that Gaussman, I couldn't, when I saw he was an all-star, I could not even remotely believe that. I, that was like a no-brainer that he'd be an all-star. Uh, Bell's having a great season, probably deserves it too. I don't know what the other – who the other first basemen are. Who are they? Freeman, probably. Whatever.
2: I'll get stats on that.
1: France should absolutely be on there, too, in my opinion. I mean, I I believe it's Vladdy Guerrero, Jr. And that one, who having a nice season. But, I mean, Ty France was, like, the best hitter in the big leagues for a stretcher and then got hurt. I – That and it's going back to the thing I, you know, I was saying about Shane and just this being an all-star in general is like you 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 believe and assume that these guys are going to have great careers and they're going to be right there every single year, but sometimes it just doesn't go that way for whatever reason, or you get hurt, or like this this could be his chance to be a starter in the all-star game, or at least an all-star, and now he's not because i cuz i don't know his name's not big enough like and if that's the reason that's bullshit
2: so i looked it up in the nl the NL first base starter is goldschmidt obviously he might end up being okay. mvp yeah. america's first baseman paul goldschmidt people forget that um and i think what was the other one i just saw on there um for nl reserve first baseman it's cj Crone from the rockies is on there who's you know he he's hitting almost 300 with like 20 something tanks all right that's that's probably there yeah. but um yeah and then the pitcher thing i you're right i have no idea why kevin gosman was left off there that's insane so n- no stuff man
1: that's it sucks yeah
2: you know what but it will show them because at the end of the year uh he will have that chip on his shoulder from not being an all-star and a pitch his way to another uh, or to an al cy young so there you go who's laughing now go. all-star <laughs> all-star committee voters um <laughs> <laughs> so that oh, yeah. is uh those are our AL and NL all-star team roster snubs. Next up we have the Joe Musgrove inaugural guest performance of the week. And I want to give a special shout out to recent guest of the podcast, Ray's Josh Lowe. Uh so they put him in the leadoff spot for the first time last week against Boston. Two for five, two doubles, a run and RBI. But they they kind of mix it up in Tampa. I didn't realize this because I didn't really look at their lineup this closely they don't have like a set leadoff guy. They have, they bounce some guys around. It's like Josh. And then some days it's Yandi Diaz. Like, do you remember like kind of like the lineup construction when you were in Tampa? Is that kind of their thing where they don't have set leadoff guys?
1: Yeah, they, they definitely shift guys around whatever the matchup, you know, they like, or however they, they determine that they're they're not afraid to, to put guys there if they think these things go well together. Um, I think they have guys who are, you know, probably at the top of that lineup for for the most part, or, or whatever it is. But they definitely are not afraid to to mix it up and and throw guys in there. I, I think Josh was telling us uh, when he was on the podcast that he, you know, he was hitting seventh or eighth most of the time, and then he came in the one day and he was penciled in and hitting third or fourth. And Cashy was messing with him like, "Don't make me look like an idiot." And he, I think he homered that day or whatever. So yeah that's that's what they do man
2: do, do guys kind of like having set spots in the lineup like i remember like the orioles used to have like their set like everybody knew hey i, I always hit third i always hit fourth, like that kind of thing do you guys like that
1: i think so yeah i think uh your everyday guys i think it's it's just nice to know where you're if me personally do i like just basically being like yeah i you know i hit second or third or whatever. yeah it's nice to just you don't have to think about it or whatever but the, end of the day there's it it doesn't make a huge difference but i just think there's that comfortability and you just get used to kind of like the routine of where you are in the lineup it's hard to explain
2: that's what i would think and also i guess like the the other thing is like you only technically lead off the game once so it's like yeah you know it, i guess batting lead off is cool for for some but you know i could see how it's not that big of a deal
1: yeah and i'm sure managers and front offices like now deep dive into it more of like like lineup construction and exactly how it works out. And as players, we probably just look at it and we're like, fuck, we're hitting eighth or whatever it is, you know, like, but yeah, it's just, it's nice to just stay in one, like kind of stay in one spot and there you're there.
2: Creatures of habit. That's what I always figure. Um, All right. Next up we have, uh, we're going to keep the same segment from last week or from two weeks ago. We're going to do the fudging awesome moment of the week. And Brian, who's it brought to us by?
1: Brought to you by our sponsor, the original Fudge Kitchen. That's Fudge Kitchens with an S.com, making sweet treats and fudge. It's the best. I can't wait to be back in America so I can order some because their Instagram kills me every time they post. For our Philly and Jersey Shore listeners, they have locations in Stone Harbor, North Wildwood, Wildwood, Ocean City, and Cape May. If you're down there, check them out. It is the best summertime treat that you can have. That is the original Fudge Kitchen. And you can order from Fudge Kitchens with an S.com. They're shipping all over the country.
2: All right. Fudge an awesome moment of the week this week. Uh, I saw this on Twitter and I thought it was really, really cool. So there's an 11-year-old kid named Tommy Morrissey. He went viral because he has one arm. Uh, He was uh, born missing most of his right arm, but that hasn't slowed him down. He was in like an 11U tournament in Cooperstown, which I think maybe – have you uh, participated in that tournament before?
1: Yeah, I believe that's the one.
2: Yeah which, you know, shout out you. I mean, that's, was that, the, that was the one where you went, you had the derby up there with, with Bryce Harper.
1: Yep. Yep. And our career paths went a little different after that, but here we are.
2: <laughs> it all comes full circle. Uh, but this is cool. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy's got one arm, but this guy hits missiles. He, uh, I think he had a game where he had two home runs his first game, like first at bat of the game cranked one opposite field. Um, and then the other one, he just demolished to the pool side. Again, he has one arm, um, and he's he's super cool. He's been on like HBO and Ellen and Golf Channel because he's also a fantastic golfer. I think his Twitter handle might even be like Tommy Golfs or something like that. Um, but yeah, I just thought this was super cool. Like, it, remember uh, it was a Jim Abbott, the pitcher that had uh, one hand. So kind of shade yeah. to that. Yeah,
1: that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's that's really cool for him. Love seeing that. Love seeing him out there. I mean, that's super impressive. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, that tournament's awesome. I'm sure he's having a blast up there. Uh, it's just a, the way they do it up there is really cool. So I'm sure he's having a great time hitting all these homers
2: and, and getting to experience everything at Cooperstown. Could you hit a home run if you only had one arm on the bat?
1: No chance. This kid, that's phenomenal.
2: Yeah. It, it looks insanely hard. I think there is – isn't it like a drill that maybe some people work on where you like use like the one arm to use the, like the follow-through? But I, I can never oh, – yeah. Yeah. No chance. Can't, so. can't, imagine, can't imagine trying to hit opposite field home runs with one arm. That, this kid's insane. So shout out our, uh, our guy, Tommy Morrissey. Um, all right. Uh, last but not least, we have our top five for this week. This week, we're going to be doing, in honor of the Home Run Derby, which we just talked about, we're going to be doing the top five players you would most want to uh, see compete in a Home Run Derby. And so our only stipulation for this week is these guys can't have been in a Home Run Derby already. So it's all fresh guys. Guys, it's like your dream home run derby lineup. So I'll start us off with number five. I have Christian Walker, uh, Orioles legend Christian Walker. So he's got 21 bombs this year. And I looked like StatCast has all these really cool nerdy stats that I went through. He's top 10 in the league in total barreled baseballs. And he kind of gives me under the radar vibes like a Trey Mancini last year, where a guy who's not a household name comes in and just goes to like the final round. So that is number five. Number four, I'm going to go with O'Neal Cruz. Uh, Exit Velocity King from the Pittsburgh Pirates. This guy, everything he does is electric, and you can't tell me that he wouldn't hit 50 in that total derby. It would be insane. Number three, I have Jorge Soler. Uh, Again, going back to the nerdy stats, he's sixth highest exit velocity in the big leagues with a ball he hit at 117.6. Guy hits tanks. Brian knows this firsthand as he watched him in spring training hit a missile over his head. So Jorge Soler deserves to be in a derby at some point. Number two, I don't know how this man has never been in a derby to this point, but it's Mike Trout. I, I don't like, I thought he didn't qualify for this list because I would have bet you money he's already done one before. Hasn't, don't know why, but we need to see the king Mike Trout in there. And then, last but not least, number one, an under the radar guy for most of the people in like the national spotlight, but Jordan Alvarez. This guy leads the league in average exit velocity, hard hit percentage. He's just crushing the ball in Houston, got that big new contract. So I would love – I would pay money to watch Don Alvarez compete in a home run derby. What do you think?
1: Those are some really good ones. You, you, we have two in, uh, in there that are – I have two that are in there the same as you. And I didn't even think of Trout, which is crazy that I didn't even think of Trout. But maybe I was thinking he was in it already. I'd love to see him do it too. Um, those are definitely some good ones, man. O'Neill Cruz is another very, very interesting one. I'm sure, you know, he's gigantic. So I'm sure that would that would be uh I I would he's so like long and lanky, yeah, that he just whips like it, it is impressive. I would I would I'd like to see him just hitting BP like that. And then Christian Walker, we were I was saying to you before um uh, before we started recording, is my guy from back in high school grew up in the same area, played against him um all throughout high school. He's a year older than me. He was his senior year. He was MVP instead of me. sea walk. So uh, great dude can really hit. Got power. So I I love that one too. Under the radar. That'd be cool. Um, my five. Start with number five is Luke Voigt. Would love to see Luke get in there. I'm sure he can hit some yeah some good some good BP homers. On. He's kind of like a showman too. I feel like he would do well in the uh, the whole home run derby atmosphere with his sleeves way up there and and his chest out. I think it would be cool. Uh, My number four is Jorge Soler. Like you said, I mean, he just kills the ball. You saw the Homer in the world series last year. I mean, that guy does serious damage. We'd love to see him do it. My number three, Joseph Votto. I think he would be great in there. Same thing because he would take it serious, but he's also a showman too. So it would be, It'd be really good. And his BP, dude, I mean, he's got juice. And this was in 19 before he reinvented himself into what, you know, his power hitting style now. So he's probably killing balls, dude. He used to just sit there a while and he would just be like trying to hit balls to left field. He like hit it. And like be getting ready for his next swing. And I'd be looking and I'm like, how the fuck is that ball going over the fence? Like, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's a strong dude. He's, he would be fun to watch. My number two, Jordan Alvarez. That's like a no brainer. He's got to be in it, man. He kills the ball. You already said all those stats. He's low key one of the best hitters for sure in the major leagues. Number one, Fernando Tati's Jr. I mean, Toddy, dude, is phenomenal. The first, first time I met Toddy in the Dominican Republic getting ready to play, he was, Coming off being hurt, and it was me and him taking BP. The balls they use down there don't go anywhere. They're like a hundred years old. And the fields are just graveyards. So I'm like just getting back into hitting two, you know. But I'm not hitting the ball like anywhere. He's uh he's coming in next to me, just killing balls. And I'm like, what the fuck? This guy's making me look like an idiot. And that was before his debut. And now fast forward, I mean, in San Diego last year, dude, when he would hit BP, you know, he, he's, he's got such great leverage, such great length, and, he's you know, he uses his, his long limbs really well, and, man, he kills balls. He would put on an absolute show, which would be no surprise. So I'm sure one day when he's fully healthy and everything's feeling good that he will do the home run derby. So those are mine. What do you think? Well,
2: now I'm pissed at myself because I didn't think of that one. That would be – he would well, crush I it at Home Run Derby.
1: I didn't think of Trout, so we're even. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm just imagining if Joey Votto did the Derby. Can you imagine the TikToks he would be doing on, the on like, the little coolers they have set out for the guys? Those would be electric. No doubt.
1: Yeah, he would kill
2: it. It would be great. Oh, dude, I, now I can't wait for the Home Run Derby. The only thing that would make it cooler is if Chris Berman would come back and do the – <laughs> I miss that. Dude, the Home Run –
1: the home run derby, I know, like all the old. It's just like the nostalgia of it all. I feel like, but the the home run derby, man, is still. I think is awesome. It's still. It's still a lot of fun to watch it.
2: Do you prefer Something the the, about new, it. the new system where it's like timed rounds, or do you miss like the ten like ten balls, the tenth being the gold ball?
1: Dude, I when they like all I when I think of the home run derby, what I really think of is Josh Hamilton hitting a billion home runs at Yankee Stadium, like. I mean, that's just like electric. Like, I don't even dude, he had to be so tired after that. I'm telling you, like, but it's just so cool. And you know, seeing the clips of like McGuire and those guys, and like there's nothing like just watching these massive humans hit balls ridiculously far. It's just a lot of fun.
2: That 08 derby, people forget Justin Morneau won it. Yeah, everybody
1: remember. He did. Yeah. He, yeah, and the other Bobby Abreu, Phillies, yep. was uh hit like fucking 25 in the round two and fucking Hamilton hit 40. It was yep. – <laughs> poor Bobby Abreu got ripped because Hamilton was just hitting all these homers, And he <laughs> – and poor Bobby was hitting – killing the ball before that and then hit like 100 after the home run therapy. So, sorry, Bobby. Great player, though. Bobby could really swing it.
2: It messes people's swings up sometimes, right? Uh, was it Giancarlo messed up his after 2017 or whatever?
1: Yeah, it's definitely – I mean, if you're just – if that's your only goal, it's definitely different. But I think, like, Soto last year was struggling a little bit prior and then – or wasn't hitting homers or something. And then after, like, went off and kind of got him back. So, you never know.
2: yeah it's cr- I, now i can't wait I, the, home, the derby is like one of my favorite because every other like sports league tries to do like the the nfl does like the pro Bowl skills competition which nobody gives a shit about where they're throwing balls <laughs> through like glass plates or whatever um yeah and, and then the nba is cooler i guess but nothing's better than the home run derby it's like you said there's no there's no half-ass in it when it comes to baseball's uh all-star festivities um no doubt. So last up, before we get to our interview this week, we have uh, a new sponsor of the podcast. So new sponsor alert. Uh, We're going to welcome on. Yep. Thank you. Uh, We have Psalm Sleep. Uh, This interview that you're about to hear is actually brought to you by our new sponsor, Psalm Sleep. So Psalm Sleep has beverages that are specially formulated to promote relaxation, maintain a normal sleep cycle, and support healthy uh, healthy sleep patterns. All you got to do is drink it 30 minutes before you're ready to go to bed. It helps you unwind after a long day. You're good to go. I had one last night. I had the sugar-free can before I went to bed. It first of all it, it tastes amazing. It doesn't like sometimes you think of these things it's like oh medicine. No, it's amazing. It tastes awesome and it was the best night's sleep I had in a long time. I didn't wake up 30 times like I usually do. Um we were talking about it like you you've been a long time proponent of these guys.
1: Yeah, we uh I first came across them when I was with Cincinnati. Uh they had them and it's phenomenal. I mean, knocks you out and tastes seriously like I've been saying it since then the taste is I would drink it as like a normal drink. If it was like an Arizona iced tea, I would crush these. So it tastes really good. Uh, when Colin said that, uh, they were you know, interested in, in coming aboard, I was like, that is awesome. It's something I know. And, um, something that I truly can like endorse. Yeah. Love it.
2: Oh, they're so good, dude. So they come in the original flavor, which is 40 calories a can the sugar free, which is the one that I had is only 10 calories for an entire can um, and includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body, a healthy diet and green tea. These ingredients help promote relaxation, provide your body with nutritional support for healthy sleep. It's non GMO, it's FDA compliant, drug free, vegan, gluten free, allergen free, non habit forming free of artificial colors, flavor, flavors and preservatives. You're going to go to get You're going to click shop and enter the code bats at checkout. That is gitsom.com. enter the code bats at checkout to let them know we sent you uh, interview for this week. Uh, it's a buddy of mine that goes way back. Really excited. Just a stud high leverage relief pitcher for the Pittsburgh pirates. we got Will Crow coming on. Uh, Brian, how much fun was it getting to, getting to talk to Will Crow? I feel like you guys really hit it off.
1: Yeah, man. He's an awesome guy. I didn't know him. This is like you said, your buddy uh really turned into a, a really good pitcher though and man i had a lot of fun talking to him i feel like we had very i don't know a lot of similarities and things we've, <laughs> we've experienced so it was just fun to talk about and laugh about some of those things but man yeah it was a great interview and he's really doing well man i'm i'm, I'm uh, happy for him
2: yeah like you know starting pitcher his entire career this year in spring training they moved him to the bullpen he cut his era in half uh, it's just been a complete turnaround. I feel like the velocity's ticked up, which I didn't really talk about, but I feel like he's a little thrown a little harder on the gun this year. Um, and like the the eighth, ninth inning combination of of him, and then when they bring on the Yinzer, David Bednar to close it out, it's electric. And yeah, listen to the, our favorite part of the conversation is talking about like walkout songs. So uh, stay tuned for that little nugget. They're they're electric. So uh, yeah, w- let's uh, let's send this over to uh, our interview for this week with Pittsburgh Pirates relief pitcher Will Crow all right today joining us on breaking bats it is one of my favorite people it is pittsburgh pirates relief pitcher will crow will how are you man it's so great to see you again
0: good how are you man
2: i'm I'm really good yeah like when any day is a good day when i get to hop on a zoom call with two two like legitimately two of my favorite people on earth so uh so just a little quick like how i met will um it was in july of 2020 this was before he made his debut uh he came on my podcast and he was super gracious with his time and in, in August uh, of his debut, I watched his debut outside the stadium because I, I wasn't allowed in, and it was super cool. And he hung out with me and my friend after the game for like twenty minutes. And, and ever since then, I've just been ride or die, Will Crow. So this is this is cool having you back on a couple of years later.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And man, that was uh, I think that was only two years ago. But man, that uh, it was good to good to be back. And I'm glad you're doing well. It's good to see, brother.
2: Absolutely. Um, that debut, though, I mean, so that was, I think that was game two of a doubleheader. What do you remember about, like, the lead-up to that and just, like, with the day you found out that you were going to get the call?
0: Yeah, so 2020, um, I got the, I was behind the, behind the ball with everyone because I got, you know, I had COVID, and I think, I think I, I told you that on the podcast last time. Um, so I showed up to camp late. Um, was that the alt site, you know, just 8 a.m., grinding along, and, the middle of summer, 20 minutes outside of Washington, you know, 120 degrees every day. Um and pitched one afternoon, got the call, you know, hey, we're gonna have a double header in a couple days and you're gonna make your debut. All uh, called the wife, oh you know, called the mom. It's crazy talking about the, the debut. Um I was actually the the road so I pitched the bottom half first in National Park at the awake so my wife, from on top of the bar, she didn't know that we were the await because we were in Nats Park. So like when I was pitching, if I like given up a hit, the Nats people had to play like the cheering sound for the the Marlins. So like I would like throw a pitch, it would be delayed. Watch it start like like the noises. She'd be like, oh, something great happens up there. And then she'd watch, and I'd be like, what just happened? <laughs> like, really weird experience. You know, it was great. It was um, it was a day I won't forget, and uh, I think it's always a good time when you make a video.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was – it was super cool getting to watch it from, like – I mean, even outside of the stadium, I thought it was super cool, but um, – going back a little bit. So like I I read an article going back to like your numbers, because like, I I remember when I talked to you then, like you were like, your number was like high fifties or something, but there was an article that was like your, your favorite number was like 37, but that was Strasburg's or something. What, what I'm curious, what's that like as a young guy coming up where it's like, you want to have a number and maybe it's blocked or like, what's, when do you think guys get it? Like their first choice for numbers.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, when you're first getting in the big leagues, you, you kind of take what you're given. Um, me uh 37 was not available with the nationals um you know uh, i think i think if you're a highly talented or highly talented prospect whatever um you're gonna get whatever you want um and i think you know speaking of Strasburg, i'm pretty sure he came up and got that immediately and that's where he was at forever and um i think you know top prospects like your number one or number two prospect or top 100 prospect or, you know, top 10 draft pick, you're going to get what number you want. Um, but for my for me, I got, um, I got 57, um, and, you know, you stick with it. You know, that's fine with me. It wasn't in the 70s, so I was like, whatever. Um, and then, you know, I come to the Pirates, and they gave me 29. And for now, I'm totally fine with 29 it's low enough. It's a good number. I enjoy it. Um, and I'm going to roll with it. So.
2: I love that, Brian, what was that like for you? Uh, I mean, what did, what did you have a number that you wanted Were you not were able to get it?
1: I've been 21, literally like my entire baseball career. It's, uh, it's all, I don't know. It's just always been my number. And, uh, when I got, when I debuted with the Reds, I think I, what was I, I think I was 34. So pretty solid number wasn't meant Michael Renzen was 21, so that wasn't happening. And uh just kind of roll with that. And then with the the Rays after that, when I got traded to the Rays, I was 31. Um, but going back, like even spring training is the biggest difference. Like my first big league spring training the Reds, I was like 80 fucking two or something like that, you know? And it's like you don't get a lot of respect when you're in the even if you're like starting the game, you get no respect as 82 in, in big league camp. But as soon as you, you know, that next time and you get a lower number, you get a lot more respect after that. So that's always nice. And uh, with the Padres, man, I'm a little disappointed. Um, I was number five and I was pumped to be a single digit. I, I don't know. Like I never did that. And it, it was, it felt cool. And then uh, how did it, how did it happen? I was number five. And then Blake, we traded for Snell and Snell wanted Will Myers number that Will had worn forever. So, and Will's second choice of number was five. So I was getting bumped (laughs) and he was going to give me something and Snell like paid him for that number. And then will will kind of left me hanging there so i'm still still waiting on will to buy me some jordans or something that's all i asked for but yeah i was I was a little disappointed when i lost number five that year a three-way deal i got bumped off so but it's all right what are you gonna do
2: dang yeah single digits are great some of them you just have to like figure it out because some of them are like baseball numbers like 21 34 like th- those just feel like baseball yeah 82 i mean that's that that like 82 is a tough one. 82 is tough. Yeah, that's so funny though.
1: Spring spring training. I've been lucky, you know, in the major leagues to have good numbers. But yeah, the first spring training, 82, the zone was a little bit bigger when I was hitting with with 82 on my back.
2: <laughs> we always feel like the broadcasters too. They always have, they, they joke at like the, these guys' expense. Where it's like, oh, here's 97 up here. Yeah, it's <laughs> just getting no respect. Uh, like, um,
1: dude, I'm out here fucking grinding. Leave me alone, man. It's a number. Yeah shit
2: literally um so but like going back to you will so like your debut obviously that 2020 covid year was so weird because there's no fans allowed are you the kind of person that was able to like manufacture your own energy and your own juice even when there wasn't a crowd out there with you
0: no um it was (laughs) uh it was really weird um i remember so i pitched three games that year um the first one obviously you're gonna get a drone because it is debut and stuff um my next two, one was in Atlanta and one was Miami. And Atlanta was like the pinnacle, fruit, right? You know, I grew up three, two, three hours away. Um, all my buddies are big Braves fans. You know, I was like, wow, this is going to be a lot of fun, you know, in division. Um, and it, you get there and it was like crickets. It was like you get there thing, like you heard the the trucks going by on the road out behind the like this is awful. And then we get to Miami they have so much white noise pumping through the dome that you can't hear yourself think. It's just like <sighs> the whole time. And I'm like, joke, right? Like we're, we're not playing baseball in here. So like, for me, <laughs> like I was grinding just to like get myself ready and get myself going. Probably didn't help that I was kind of hurt, but um, you know, it was tough. I, I think anyone who like in 2020 was able to, you know, really like, have a great year and like do some things it's, it takes a special person because that was one of the toughest things you know to do was just like get out there and grind and like knowing what was going on like it was just it was tough it was very tough
2: yeah I mean I mean Brian I think you've talked a little bit about that with your, your 2020 in Tampa and just how weird it was with all the weird piped in crowd noise is that is that the kind of same kind of experience you think that you had back in 2020 trying to like you know get amped up for a game where it's just white noise and and fake crowds.
1: Yeah, dude, it was definitely weird. Like playing in Miami that, you know, we played in probably all the same places that year. Cause it was the East, you know, the East coast was how they did the travel schedule. It was like the East state of the East, you know? So, um, Miami was definitely a weird one Playing, Yeah. Playing a Yankee stadium with nobody there, like just weird. Um, but at the same time, dude, like it was, uh, he still had to do it because it mattered to everybody, you know, it wasn't like if you struck out four times and like, Oh, well, no one's there. And it's COVID who cares? You know, I was still getting screwed from that, but um, it yeah, he's, will put it perfect, man. It was just a weird, weird fucking year, but I will with, you know, your whole life dreaming of your debut and like thinking of what that moment was like. And, and I know, what mine was like, and I, I was lucky. Um, Reds and the Cubs is a huge deal in Cincinnati when that happened. So it was fucking packed when when I debuted. It was nuts. I'm sure that's what you pictured when you growing up and everything were thinking of your debut. Was it a little disappointing to have or just a little just weird to have that be your debut with with nobody and like your family couldn't come see you? I mean that 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 had
0: to be a little tough. Yeah, it was it was it was you know tough. I would I think that's the best way to put it. Um, you know you're you dream your whole life of doing it and you finally get that opportunity. It's like you know you're still getting the jitters and the you know you're still you know nervous as all get out. You know and all that stuff. But it kind of made up for it. You know because the next the last year 2021 um, I broke camp and my real debut with fans was opening day in Wrigley and it was like okay this makes up for everything that I missed last year yeah fully packed opening day ceremonies like first time I was like all right I might have missed it up miss missed the good stuff last year with you know the debut and stuff but this is a very close second like this up for a lot so that's
1: That's awesome. awesome I'm glad you got that yeah Good yeah, stuff. I mean,
2: yeah, that's a great point by Brian, where it's like, you, you know, as a kid, you're in the backyard dreaming about playing in front of, you know, 50,000 people screaming your name. And then you come up and it's it's August in D.C. and you see cardboard cutouts of people. and It's like, well, it's cool to be there. But um, well, one thing I'm curious about and Brian can talk a little bit about this, too, is the option game where like you have these minor league options and the team kind of can you know, like send you up, send you down. Like, how hard was that finding a rhythm those first couple years where the team could basically send you down to, was it the alternate site or AAA, kind of
0: at a whim? Yeah, the option game is, uh, it's kind of sticky. Um, you know, a lot of teams play it. Um, it. It stinks because I think for me last year, I think was a big year for me, um, confidence-wise, you know. Um, and I think that's the number one thing is, you can come up and you pitch well, or, you know, you throw well in spring or, you know, whatever it may be and you get options. So then you're like, well, do I belong or am like, what's going on? Like, I feel like I did my job or I'm doing my job. And then you get sent down or, you know, and it's just the business side of the game. Um, You know, having more than one option left or being on your last option year, is a blessing, but also a curse because, you know, you're going to get sent down. Um, And, you know, if you don't have an option or you have one option, you know, teams want to keep that option in case, you know, you're not playing well. So, you know, it stinks. Um, I think confidence is a big thing because you're like, Hey, do do I belong? Do I not? But um, you know, it's a sticky thing and players hate it. And I think, you know, this year with the five option thing, Max that we've added in the CBA that helps out with some guys. You know, you can get called up five times, but as soon as that fifth time they send you down, you go to waivers, I think that can help. Because you'd have guys, you know, I think some guy in 2019 or 20 or maybe it was last year, maybe it was 2019. Um it was with the Rays, I think, or maybe the Mariners, and he got called up like 18 times in a year, made made like 15 starts but only had 15 days in the big leagues or something like something crazy. Like it protects you and it gives you the opportunity, you know, Hey, if a a team's going to keep calling you up, calling you down and playing that game with you that another team can get you. But um, yeah, it's just a sticky situation. No one, no one likes it. Um, And you know, you just got to hang with them sometimes.
1: Yeah. I think I'm the, uh, I think I'm the King. I think I, I think I did six last year. I think I I think I went over the five limit last year. It was either five or six. There was a stretch there where I was like a few times, like exactly ten days in AAA, back off for like three weeks, whatever. Exactly ten days, and I mean, Will said it perfect. It's it's part of the business. It's a blessing and a curse. Teams value those options, but at the same time, it means you can go down. And I was that I was that guy on that Padres team, and uh, sometimes, especially like you like Will said with with pitchers. If they have to throw, you know, more pitches than the team wants to originally, then they just get sent down for a fresh arm. <laughs> no, no other reason other than that. That's that's it. Um, but it, it comes with the territory, and I, I do I, I like that rule that the, the five the five times rule is definitely a good rule. Um, and man, there's there's also guys who hang around on the flip side of that who don't have any options left, are maybe like. little fringy, but they hang around because they don't have the options left and the team values them just enough to, to keep them, you know, keep it going like that. So man, it's just, uh, it's not fun going down, but it is what it is sometimes.
2: What's, what's like the logistical side of that? Because like, if you're up and down within the span of like 10 days, are you just sleeping in a hotel the entire time? Like, does that, do you even get a chance to like put down any kind of semi-permanent routes or just like rent a place when you're up,
0: down, up, down? (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, it's usually when you get sent down, you get like a two day grace period or whatever it is, 72 hours or 48 hours. So you can, you know, kind of hang out in and you can take your time early to get there. Then by the time you get there, you know, you sometimes you have no idea. Like you could be down for a month. You could be down for 10 days. Somebody could get hurt and you're back up in three days. So, you know, last year for me, I got sent down, and luckily the the front office and everyone told me it was like, "Hey, you're going to be down for ten days, and we're coming. You're coming back up and starting against the Brewers." So for me, it was like, "Okay, we're we know what's going to happen. We're not going to look for anything permanent. Like if this if we stay down longer than that, we we'll we'll figure something out." But um, they were like, "Hey, yeah, you're going down ten days. You're coming back." So it's like, "All right, well." suck it up and live in a hotel room with me and my wife for a couple of days and um, we'll figure it out if we, we have to later, but it, it's weird, man. You know, it's kind of like getting called up from, you know, uh, double A to triple A. It's like, Hey, we're going to stay in this hotel room until we we figure out like what's going on or, you know, it's, you just gotta, you gotta roll with the punches and and try to make any hotel room home as quickly as you can.
2: Brian, is that you know same kind of experience for you?
1: I literally lived in a hotel the entire season last year. The whole the whole year. I went uh when I I was the last I was the last cut out of spring training. So I like had a place lined up in San Diego. So when that didn't work and I went to El Paso, I was like, I'm not gonna find some place and be to sign a lease or something when I know I'm probably gonna be bouncing. So I did. I stayed at the field, <laughs> I stayed at the Marriott right across the field, or right across the street from the the field in El Paso, and then in San Diego stayed at the Omni right next to the right next to the stadium, and that's that was the whole time, man. I had my car was my car was packed with all my stuff. Still, I just kind of take stuff in and out of the hotel all the time, and that was it, dude. Up and down, it was. Looking back on it, well, it was not not a lot of fun, even though they're nice hotels. Like, yeah, they get old for sure, but. I don't know, man. It's just, <laughs> it is what it is. I'd much rather have been stuck in a you know, in the Omni in San Diego and I would have complained about that. But when you go down to El Paso and I'm looking out at Juarez, Mexico from across the way, I'm like, ah, this is a little, it's a little rougher.
2: I have just have never heard anybody really talk about that side of the game where it's like, yeah, I mean, hotels are cool, but like, Brian, you did like six months at a hotel. I mean, that, does that like wear on you mentally where you just like, you're coming For home real. to not a home every single day?
1: it started like towards the end, it really did start too. And then like when the season was over and I got back to my house in Florida, I was like, this is fucking phenomenal. Like I was so excited to just be back in my house and like have my space and, you know, just a normal living room and bedroom, like all that stuff. And uh, yeah, God bless my wife. She, when she came and visited, we were in, we were always in a hotel room, just the two of us. So it's, uh, I don't know, you just, you just do it, man. And, Sometimes you're lucky, like Will said, they'll, they might give you a little idea of a plan. You know, the Padres were, they like to do things a little more last minute. So, like, I remember one time I was, I I went down for 10 days and they were struggling. They were struggling as a team up there. And I had made a little adjustment and and hit like 600 for the week with, you know, homers, like, was killing it. I'm like, I got to be going back. And, it was like one thirty in the morning after the game, and I like gave up. I like fuck. guess not. It's not happening. Got a call like five minutes later. Like hey, tomorrow morning come back to San Diego. I'm like, dude, told me this like before I left the stadium. I'm gonna go back there, and get all my stuff now. But it's not. A, it's a great call to get.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That that option games. That's yeah. I mean, like I said, nobody really talks about that. Um, well, going back to you for a second, and and was it twenty twenty Christmas Eve? You found out that you were gonna get traded to Pittsburgh. What was that day like? And like, were you just like, were you with all your family at the time? I feel like that's is that a good or a bad day to get the call that you're you're being traded?
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was weird. It was like three o'clock. Um, I was at my in laws' house. Um, me and my wife were actually just sitting on the, the couch watching TV. I think. Um, her parents weren't there, though. I think they were out getting something for Christmas the next day, uh, like probably the Christmas bill or something. And as soon as the phone rang and I saw, you know, the name, it was our assistant GM and the Nats, I was like, well, I'm definitely getting traded. So let's see what this is like. So he answered the phone. It was like a 30-second phone call. Um, he was like, hey, this isn't a Merry Christmas call. Um This is a business call. We just traded you to the Pirates. Um, They're like, we appreciate what you did for us. Have a good career and thanks. And like hung up the phone. I was like, okay, that was cool. So um, then my agent calls um, and so Josh Bell, and it was the Josh Bell trade. And he is actually in my agency. So they had known already that once like the Nationals called them and said hey we're trading for Josh and then they were like we're my agent actually was like hey who who's going back is it will and they were like yeah so it was kind of like in-house trading they they knew before so they like kind of waited until I called them but um it's a good experience you know I'm I'm, I'm blessed it um, it was definitely meant to be you know especially for for I feel like my career—it's kind of helped me, you know, relax, take off, and be, you know, who I am as a player. Um, definitely a weird experience, but it's definitely a good experience because you know, like some teams giving up somebody for you, and that means they believe in you and want you to be a part of their team, and that's um, comforting on your side. You know, like, hey, this team wants me; I'm a part of something that they're they're building for. And, um, it just gives you a little more, uh, confidence and, you know, security knowing that like, Hey, they wanted you. So.
2: That's a great way of looking at it. Was, was it easier to connect with your new teammates given that you had like three or four months before the season started to kind of like get acquainted?
0: Um, so I didn't really know anybody, um, coming in last year. So, you know, you go into spring, it's like a month after, spring training starts um i showed up i think like a week early tried to you know meet as many people as fast as i could um and it's really like a whirlwind you know i got probably 25 phone calls in the first three to four days of just like front office staff trying to you know introduce themselves and meet and then you get to spring and it's even more of a whirlwind you have from the equipment guys to the you know, the the staff, to the teammates, to the guys who are invites, to the guys who are rookies. It's just – there's so many people that you meet within the first you know, day of getting at a new place. And I'm the worst with names. So I'm like, hey, I'm Tim. Hey, I'm Josh. And you're like – him the next day, you're like, I don't remember. you. I have no idea. I, I got 150 people telling me if they were day one, and I'm like – some of them, I still don't know their name. I'm like the worst. I feel terrible about it. And I'm like, I'm super sorry. But it it's, it wasn't, I wasn't able to meet anyone before, but you know, you, you quickly hop on that. Okay. You figure out who's important, like not important, but like who you're going to be around more. Who's like the people you're going to be around the most time with. And then you're like, okay, let's get to know these people. Let's can have their names, have their like, make sure that you respect them and stuff and like get to know them on a more personal level. So then, you know, who you're around more, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Dang. Brian, I, I see you lean forward there. What, what do you, what do you got?
1: I was going to say a caveat to all that too. On top of trying to remember people's names, you had about 95% of those people he just mentioned having to wear masks that whole time too. So you couldn't even see their face. and then you're trying to remember their names. We had trainers, dude, like the trainers and stuff and in San Diego last year when they finally like changed whatever or we hit the mandate, whatever it was. And I come in and they, they weren't wearing masks. So one day I'm like, I've known you guys for fucking five months. I haven't seen your face until today. <laughs> and that's so you're trying to like, like we'll say you're meeting 100 people and they're all like that. You're like this. That's all you're saying. So it's a tough it's a tough gig. I've yeah, been there.
2: Brian, I mean, you've been the new guy on a couple of different teams. Like, what, what's like, how do you kind of go about, you know, making making new acquaintances, making new friends? Like, what, what's your strategy when you walk into a clubhouse for the first time?
1: It started with the Rays, dude. I just, I talk to everybody. I just talk. I don't care. <laughs> I just talk to whoever, and it's something that, like, I found out later on that a lot of people from the Rays really liked that I said hello. That I was actually good at remembering people's names. This was before COVID right before COVID happened, but I was good at remembering people's names and like saying hello. And there was a lot of people that really appreciated that there. Um, so when I found that out, when I went to San Diego, I made sure to do the same kind of thing. Um, I knew a couple guys at each spot though. So that, that definitely helped. And, then I mean, coming to Japan this year, dude, that was like, <laughs> it's, that's a toss up, man. It was, that was definitely harder, but, uh, same stuff, man. It's just talk to people and we'll set it, man. You find, you know, there's people you're probably gonna be around more than, than other, like, well, I'm sure talks to the pitching coaches more than, you know, the hitting coach or whatever it is. So he, you learn those things, but just, it just takes some time. You start to get to know everybody, everybody, everybody's for the most part, there's, there's good dudes and you're pretty similar to at least a couple of guys that are in that clubhouse. So you end up being good friends.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's cool. Will, with like the continuity. Now it's like, you you have this great opportunity. Did they have kind of conversations with you when he came over about like, Hey, you know, we have 25 starts for you a year. We have all these innings for you. Did that, did that make you feel better knowing that you're walking into a place where you can kind of, you know, have way more opportunity than DC had for you?
0: Yeah. Um, In DC, you know, at the time they had Max and still Patrick and Steven. And then, you you know, some guys, speaking on the option game earlier, had less options than me, um, like four of them that were all starters. So you kind of had an idea like, hey, I could ball out and spring training and still go to triple A no matter what. Um, so then you get traded and there's, you know, you get in the is there's innings to be won and you know you come in and you perform and you're gonna you're gonna earn those. Um and you know you go into spring with with a different mindset it's like hey i'm gonna go in here if i do my business i'm gonna make the team and that's all that's all that matters um so knowing that you can have that like the opportunity is better definitely helps give you more sense of a uh uh, i want to say security but more sense of like like positivity towards it all instead of like oh i know i could go out here and not give up a run in 20 innings in spring and i'm still going to triple a so um the side of the game that that's nice especially when you go into a new place that say, hey like we can go in here and do our thing we're gonna be good. we're gonna be set up pretty well
2: absolutely yeah i mean anytime you can be less anxious more at ease i mean that's that has to be like huge for your game um so i mean i i've adopted pittsburgh as my new favorite city as many times as i've been there like what is it like going to like such a great city with great people and like what do you like to do when you're in pittsburgh
0: so, I have a nine month old son. Um, we live right in the strip district, me and my wife, and then him. So, a big thing that I love to do is we wake up in the morning. I kind of let my wife sleep in some days, and me and my little man go on walks and go get coffee. It's my best thing ever. You know, it's the city's not too big. Um, I'm close enough. We're right there in the strip district, it's right beside, you know, downtown so we get up um i feed him we i throw him in a stroller and then we just go for a little like 20 25 minute stroll i grab my coffee um and it gets kind of gets my day going and uh it's very relaxing you know you don't have to worry about the hustle and bustle of like a huge city um and you can just kind of enjoy it it's a very homey feeling um pittsburgh is great i love it um The fans are awesome. The people are great. Um, I'm I'm very blessed to play there.
2: It's it's so it's such a great yeah. But just the vibe of everything is so great. Um, Yeah, I mean, like yeah. What what do you are you a Kelly O's Are you a Pamela's guy? Where are you going for what's your diner of choice there?
0: Kelly O's is definitely um, on the top of the list. Um, We go to defer defer coffee. It's kind of right across the street um from like the terminal it's incredible they have this breakfast panini and I think I get it five days a week um and then so on the other side on the main street in the strip district there's Allegheny Coffee Company which is just cold brew night it's called nitro espresso and if you're like lagging that day or down you're not down after you drink that you can it's got to have 600 milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> and then nice. there's Faitano, which is a newer place, yeah. um, but it's got like acai bowls, um, turkey and cheese paninis, and it's like Colombian coffee, I think. And oh, man, that's, that's what me and my, my wife, if my wife's feeling up for it and she's like, I'll, I'll go for coffee we'll go sit there and, and have our coffee and eat nasa an not bowl or something. And that place is incredible. Too. We've got our three spots that we make our rounds at, but um, it, it's definitely the thing that I look forward to when we're in Pittsburgh is waking up, going for my little stroll and getting my coffee and get my day going.
2: Dude, that's the best. D- does it ever get old pitching at PNC park and just having the incredible backdrop behind you?
0: No, PNC is, is incredible. I, um, I think it's up there, you know, top, top two, three stadiums in the league. Um, you know, we we probably take it for granted a lot as players because we are used to it and we're there every day. But you know, some days you like walk out, walk out of the dugout for the, you know, the anthem, and you're looking around and you're like, man, this is incredible. This is beautiful. Um, the other night we played the Yankees, obviously at home. In that first game, there was, like, 38,000 people there. Um, it was a sold-out crowd. Um, we walked outside. You know, it's mid or early July. And it had just rained a little bit. So, like, the clouds were, like, dark. It was still, like, light, though, underneath. Like, the sun was setting a little bit. It's, like, 40,000 people. Like, there was a buzz in the air. It was, like, making the backdrop of the city light up. But the sky was dark. And I was, like, this is awesome. Like, that was the last – like, that was – one of the days you walk outside and you're like, man, I, you can pinch yourself. You're like, this is, this is fucking cool.
2: As the away team, did it, I mean, did you just always love going to PNC Park?
1: I loved PNC. It was great for me. I'm, Well, I, I I'm from Philly. So, you know, it was a quick trip for, for my family to come out and see when, uh, when I played at PNC, my brother-in-law and my sister would always come when we went to uh, Pittsburgh. He played football at Duquesne, which is in Pittsburgh. So he loved to go, go back and see it. But, is great man. I love it there. Um Yeah, that backdrop's awesome. It's one of Pittsburgh's a cool little city. It's one of the better definitely one of the better spots uh in in the league for sure.
2: Well, I did want to ask because in 2021, obviously, you led the team at starts, I think, but then in the offseason they kind of transitioned to this kind of like high leverage relief role. Like how open were you to that to that change and what have you liked about pitching out of the pen this year?
0: So it actually happened in training. Um we, um, I was like three starts in in spring and Sheltie called me in and we had a conversation and um, one second let me take it. got a little itch in my throat but um, we had a little a, a talk in spring training you know they would said that they were looking forward to um, me pitching in a different role that they had been thinking about it for a while um, I at first wasn't happy about it um they would tell you the same thing they didn't expect me to be um but it started off as more like a hybrid thing where I was going to throw you know two to three innings every time a couple times a week and I think you know how I performed early kind of gave gave them you know confidence and in, in me knowing that I can get get guys out in high leverage situations um so it's kind of transitioned into a more high level role than it was, you know, what they had initially wanted me to do, but I'm loving it. You know, I actually love it more than I think I do starting. Um, I'm really enjoying my time in the pen and I'm excited about where it's going to lead for me. Um, I, I think, you know, one reason it's, it's gone, you know, well for me is because I'm a big time editor. Um, I don't care if I'm, playing hopscotch or chess against you or Fortnite or whatever i want to win and i really really like to compete so with that being said i have this like this like itch to like play and like compete and go after it and it gives me the opportunity to play you know more every game than just once a week and my adrenaline gets going my heart gets pumping and, um, I think it brings out the best in me. It brings out, you know, my, the best in my mentality and the best in my, um, my preparation and everything. So I am really enjoying it. I'm, I'm loving the bullpen. It's, it's, it's really fun to be able to go out there and, you know, get the, uh, get the pregame jitters and get everything going when, when, when the game's close, like, all right, let's go. It's time to, it's time to get ready. It's time to get hot. And, uh, that adrenaline when they call down and they're like, hey, Crows in the game is, like, something you can't mimic. It's the heart gets gone. You start letting a few eat in the bullpen, and you're like, all right, it's time to go. It's time to compete.
2: Dude, that's amazing. Yeah, and this year especially, like, 13 and a third innings uh, without allowing a run to start the year. I mean, when I saw that, like, did you, like, were you in the zone for that 13 and a third innings? Do you think Do you think you're in the zone?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, coming into the season – I, uh, I changed, uh, what I was doing this year to last year. And I think that helped me a lot, but, um, you know, I think it's just me being more aggressive, you know, last year, I think I was trying to be fine and was picking and choosing when I went after guys, and wouldn't throw certain pitches in certain counts because I didn't want, you know, crushed or I was trying to be, like I said, too. so just early in the year, I wanted to be as aggressive as I could and, and go straight after guys and, you know, show people that my stuff played. And it was kind of how I was going about it and it it was working. So try to keep it up.
2: So, I mean, I have to ask about playing with O'Neill Cruz. I've talked to Brian a little bit about him. This guy, everything he does, he breaks like the stat cast. He breaks records every single night. Like, what is it like having him play behind you? Like what's what's that like for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's an electric player. Um, Some of the things he does is wild. I personally like watching him running the bases more than anything. Um, because like you watch some of our guys and they take like 20 steps in between bags. He takes like three and a half. And it is incredible. Like who gets going and it's literally three steps to like second to third on a first to third like ball. Like he touches second base and it's like one, two, three, and he's sliding in. You're like, what's what just happened? And he, he's a freak. Um, I call him Baby Shack. So little baby Phil O'Neal. And um, he's quiet. Uh, good dude. But, but he's he's a good dude. I I, I enjoy playing with him. He's a good. Guy.
2: Brian, have you seen some of this stuff? I think I tweeted the highlight. He threw a ball across the infield, 97 miles an hour. And like every single thing he does, like every ball off the bat's 120 somehow. Uh Brian, have you have you been keeping up with O'Neal?
1: Yeah, man, I've seen it. He's a big dude, 6'7 or whatever, man. Tall guy playing shortstop like that. Uh, i I I think I ran into him somehow, like somewhere. I, I can't, I can't remember, but yeah, I remember seeing him being like, holy shit, that guy's tall playing shortstop. But uh it's awesome, man. I mean, I just think it's cool for baseball to see you know, have a, a different guy like that doing this kind of stuff, especially in the infield. I
2: mean, like, because, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Six, seven is a shortstop. I don't think anybody... Judge does is- it in the outfield, yeah.
1: but to be that nimble and, like, in the infield, it's crazy.
2: Uh, yeah, it's just that next breed of shortstops. Yeah, I mean, we started with Cal, and now we're going to get, like, Shaquille O'Neal playing shortstop. Yeah, it's going to be... This guy's electric. <laughs> um, It's so cool. Uh, well, I, I did want to ask, like, this, this Pirates team, like, can you guys in the clubhouse feel that, like, you're building towards something? There's so much great young talent. Obviously, we just mentioned O'Neill Cruz and and Brian's guy, Jack Sawinski. Like, can you feel the vibe in the clubhouse that things are kind of, like, turning a corner?
0: Yeah. You know, we, we here, as the Pirates, we know we're a good team. Um, you take away, you know, six, seven games, and a lot of our losses are, like, one or two runs. And it's, like, one play here, one play there, you know end up being a deciding factor so we know what we're how good we are we know we're a good team you know we've said it from the beginning and inside our clubhouse we believe I think a lot more than a lot of other people do outside of it but we know that you know we have a good month or you know a good couple weeks we we didn't we had one bad week you know we we went or one bad two week stretch we went like one in thirteen. Like you take away that you say, we go, you say, we win half of those games and like, we're like we're almost 500, you know, you take, you add six wins, take away six losses. I think we're like 38 and 39. So you look at it. We're, we, we know we're a good team. We know we have a, we have a good little base of what we're doing here. Um, and we're just going out there and grinding. You know, we, we, um, we're trying to win a bunch of games. We know that we're, we're on the upcoming um, and we're excited about what's coming and that doesn't take away from what we're doing this year and stuff, but um, we're, we're definitely building the right direction.
2: I, yeah, I, I watch them every night and it's just, yeah, it's something feels different about this whole collection of dudes. It's so cool. It's a great mix. Um, all right. A couple last things for you. So you're in Milwaukee right now and are you staying at the haunted Fister hotel right now?
0: Oh yeah. It's definitely, we're definitely here. There's the, the ghosts are playing with AC We're we're, we're hanging out with a couple of them.
2: I, I was going back and I was looking at like, the, I know the Cardinals a couple of years ago stayed there and like Carlos Martinez had to like change rooms and he went like, there's just guys that have always have these like Fister hotel, like scary stories. I mean, did you have any kind of encounters with the, uh, you know, some of the, some of the ghosts friends there at the Fister?
0: So I think I was telling you guys a little bit, um, I was playing Fortnite last night. It's kind of crazy, and I was playing with Stratton, like 1:30 in the morning. You know, hey, we're last game, last game. Okay, whatever. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And um, like five people left, ten people left. We're, we're 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 doing pretty well. And something touches me on the shoulder, and I just told Strat, I was like, hey, I think the ghosts are in here. I got to go to bed. It's time for me to get off. You know, um, we're gonna finish this game. Um, that's probably the first time it's ever happened to me. But last time we were here, I think, was the first week of the season, second week of the season, something like that. And um, we had, like, four guys change rooms because at, like, three in the morning, like, one guy's TV would go on and off from channels. So, like, he turned his TV off. It's like, falls asleep. Three o'clock in the morning, TV turns on and starts going from, like, channel seven to, like, 20, and then would turn on. And then turn back on and turn off. And then one guy whose AC wouldn't stop changing levels, go from like 65 to like 80 and then back to like 70. Like lights will turn on in the middle of the night. Like last night I woke up this morning and my ba- my bathroom door shut. I'm the only one in here. Like I didn't, I didn't shut it last night. Like why would I shut my bathroom door? Um, so there's just weird things that happen. Hotel, it's a part of it. I think you know, coming here, you know, the ghosts are gonna mess with you while you're sleeping. But you know, you just you hang with them. It's a good hotel. They got good coffee. So, Brian,
2: any Fister stories?
1: No, I, I don't think
0: anything happened to me
1: while I was there. But when he said, when Will said uh, he was in Milwaukee, it was the first. It was first thing I remember. Um, he's giving me the. You know, I'm worried about the hotel I'm in right now after hearing these stories. So hopefully, this ghost don't come after me here. Hopefully they're not, but you got to – you're going to have to mess with my boy Josh Van Meter somehow and blame it on some ghosts because he deserves it
2: for sure. I love that. All right, uh, let's do some rapid fire and then we'll let you uh, run. Um, so, playing with Max Scherzer, is there a, just like one interaction or story that stands out with him?
0: Um First spring training, uh maybe second big league spring training. Um, like the first game, right? He's coming into camp throwing ninety-seven. You know, good. Max, he's 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 a madman. Um, comes in the dugout, walking by like me and four rookies. Granted, this is like March, right? Or no, like February, the last day, like first game of spring training, and you know everyone's the. Uh, Hey, oh, let's go, whatever. <clears throat> and one of the other rookies goes, good luck out there. You know, whatever. It's a normal thing, like a normal thing. Good luck, right? Stops dead in his tracks, looks him dead in the eyes, like goes, I don't need luck. And turns around and keeps, I'm like, we're all looking around. It's like, that's, that's how like ready to go. I was like, all right, sounds good. Have a okay, go. Yep. All right. Whatever.
2: That's, that's pretty on brand. Yeah. I mean, what, what, my, what was my favorite one? It was like Dave Roberts, like tapped him on the butt and said, good job. And he's like, don't effing touch me. <laughs> just, <laughs> just built different. Yeah. That's, he's that's classic. The, it's the greatest. Um, so last time we talked about university of South Carolina football since then new head coach, new quarterback, both from Oklahoma. Like how excited are you with the new direction of the program?
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, Beamer's got everybody buzzing. Um, got Rattler who I think is a good player. And, um, you know, there's some, there's some positive trajectory for our program. It seems. So, uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I was talking to my wife the other day. We're thinking about getting some season tickets, um, oh, yeah. getting into some games, taking the little man, um, I'm excited. You know, it's uh, it seems like a, a good time for football in, in Columbia, and maybe I can start talking smack with teammates and and Boglebach because he's a Florida guy. So uh, we beat him by like 27 last year. So I was given yesterday since he was talking smack. So <laughs> hopefully we him up so so I don't have to hear it from him.
2: The vibes are high. Uh, I'm really excited for you guys. It's it's gonna be a big year. I think every single Pirates game I've ever been to you've pitched and I never really like listened for your walkout song, but I went the, I went on last Saturday. It is the coolest song I've ever heard. I think it's uh, Joker and the thief by Wolf mother. It's, it's a banger. Like how did you pick that song out? And like, how sick is it just running through the gates of that
0: thing going? Yeah. I, um, so you have to have a different walkup song if you're a starter or you a reliever. And if you're going to be a reliever, it's gotta be electric. Um, so I, I don't know when the first time I'd heard that song probably sometime with my dad somewhere, um, but I had it on my phone. I was like, hey, this would be great if I'm a reliever. Uh, it kind of keeps gets everyone going. I think um, I think that's been the one thing that's been talked about the most of me being a reliever amongst like reporters and like the the or in the uh, clubhouse. Like every time I come in or someone someone's like, hey, I love your walk up song. I'm like ah, thanks, I appreciate it. And I think as a baseball player, that might be one of the best compliments you get. Like knowing that people are satisfied with your choice of a walkout song is like, hey, I've really done it. I've that is peak what you're looking for. And when someone says that, you're like, let's go. I don't. That's all I need to hear is that I picked a good one.
2: It is. It's an electric factory, especially when you pitch the eighth and then Bednar comes on in the ninth with uh, "Renegade" by The Sticks. I mean, is there, I don't think there's a better one-two combination of, of walkout songs than that. Uh, it, I mean, PNC Park is jumping. Also, in that same vein, how often do you get confused for David Bednar?
0: Oh, I, we, I joke in the bullpen that if we had players' unis, like player weekend unis, I would use not Bednar. <laughs> not, like, <laughs> day, like, I wear yellow cleats every game like i'm i made a decision this year to to wear yellow cleats well david got these custom yellow cleats made like we can't be more different like or more similar and i'm like dude you can't that. like i did this to <laughs> art and we like we have the same facial hair the only thing different is he has this like hawk in the back well you can't see that with a hat on so, like, he comes down in the third inning every game. Like, that's when he comes to the bullpen. And I'm there for the first two innings, and it's like, David, 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 David. I'm like, he's not <laughs> – I'm not David. And it's like, yeah, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. You look like David. No, I don't. Like, <laughs> every game. I mean, oh, my God. I'm not David. I'm like, exactly. That wasn't David. Okay. I, that's great i thought
2: about that because i was sitting down like the left field line and i was, trying, I was like who's warming up right now i was like oh is that Bednar?" it's like no nope, that's that's will
0: let take off the or take off the the pullovers like everyone just assume and it's okay it's whatever. there's, there's worse people that i could be you know i could be not recognized by but whatever okay
2: I don't think I've laughed at her in a while. Uh, who's the funniest guy down there in the bullpen? It would be it would it would be so like so perfect if it was Bednar. Is he the funniest guy in the pen?
0: Bednar has some great humor. Um, Bednar is a very funny guy. Um, so it's very dry humor. Um, a lot of mom jokes. Um, but uh, Bednar's got like Bednar's got like a seventh grade humor. So like mom joke or uh, yeah, the, he always says that like like classic, like good eighth grade humor. Like you tell him a joke that like probably shouldn't get the laugh that you would think out of like a 25 to 30 year old, like soft giggles for like 10 minutes. Dude, you, are, you are killing me. Um, yeah, I would be the best but we got some guys down there who are sarcastic, uh, which help, you know, we got a good group. Um, Chase Young's got some, some good jokes. uh, Pretty funny. Uh, No, we got a good group down there. So we, we keep it, keep it lively and active. I love that.
2: Yeah. I feel like every bullpen in the majors always has like a, like the the biggest group of characters. Um, All right. Last question for you. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: Best piece of advice? Ooh, you're gonna stump me for a second. I would probably say one of the best things I've ever been told was um, believe in yourself when no one else does. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of times growing up, you get set, you get told like, if you want to be a big leaguer, you, you you say that out loud, and people are like, ah, you'll never make it. You know, you'll never be there. Um, I think when I was in high school, I had, you know two knee surgeries. I had a high, I had a knee surgery in eighth grade and knee surgery in 10th. And, um, both times coming back from those, I was told I would never be a division one baseball player. Um, that I wasn't good enough for that. I didn't have the body for it. Um, you know, I got, you're in eighth grade, you have knee surgery, put on a bunch of weight. I had two big sec schools tell me I would never play in the sec. um, Never play in the big leagues, never get drafted, never this, never that. And it never deferred from me from what I wanted to do in life. And that was play baseball. Um so you know, when no one believes in you, you gotta believe in yourself. As long as you do that, um nobody can stop you from what you want Dang,
2: that that might be some of the best. Some of the best advice we've gotten from that question. Dude, this has been, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us an hour of your time. Like, like I've said, I mean, I go to probably half dozen pirates games now and I think that's due in large part to, you know, just how great of a guy you are and how like how we stayed in touch throughout the year. So I really appreciate it, dude.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you uh having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Um So you know, I, I, I enjoyed doing this, and um, I hope to see you at PNC soon,
2: And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.
0: Playing on your radio, coming through your stereo, and everybody's getting down.
2: You can...